Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with legendary jazz saxophonist and composer Joe Lovano. We caught up with Joe on April 17, 2020 during the COVID-19 quarantine shutdown, and he opened up about this new world we live in. We talked about his 2019 CD tapestry and some upcoming projects. This Cleveland-born cat talked about the huge influence that his dad, Tony, also known as Big T, had on him, and a very fortunate existence that has put him alongside the likes of Jack McDuff, Lonnie Smith, and so many others. It was a raw and revealing discussion about today's new world, the past, and what the future may just hold. Dig it. <laughs> All right out there. Yeah, it's, you know, we're just waiting for this imaginary tsunami to fall on us, and then hopefully we can start flattening the curve. But yeah, I guess we're doing about as good as we can do. How are you holding up? Yeah, I'm, we're okay. You know, I live about an hour north of Manhattan, and we're kind of like a little past West Point. So I'm in the woods, and uh, we're good. We're good. good. You know, well, I mean, I'm hardly going anywhere. You know, last month I've been out a few times just to get food, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I... Away from everybody and feeling so blessed to have a property where we're cool and we can do things outside and just be together, you know. I've heard a, a whole range of stories, but I can just tell for people that are actually in Manhattan right now, yeah, it's kind of, it's hitting critical mass. I, I just can ooh. hear it in people's voices. I've been uh, talking to a lot of folks, and, you know, I mean, all these cats who live in these apartments, with elevators is one thing. That's a whole trip. But then all these walk-ups, you know, like five-floor walk-ups, everyone's in these hallways together and then these staircases. It's like, what the fuck? You know, it's, uh, Man, it's crazy. <laughs> it's just crazy. I know. And also, when you're in those little spaces, you have to get out. Yeah. Every now and then, like probably once a day, you at least have to go outside. You, know? you have to. Yeah. I mean... You, you got to have some level of sanity. You know, Kansas City's very spread out, so you can actually get in your car and you can go. And, you know, I've been looking at nature and going to lakes and just getting out and, you know, just, just doing things because staying cooped up and not being human and going against the grain of what we know we're supposed to do as people is insane. That's yeah, the thing about it. Stay away. Just got to stay away from everybody. <laughs> yeah. Whole trust, that whole trust factor comes in on it, and that's what's going to be the hardest thing about playing a concert or going to a gig or playing. And you know, who's going to go down those steps at the Vanguard? You know, it's going to take a while, man, for things to unravel. You know, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. But we've been in this long enough now. I, I, I think at this point, it, it's safe to say that we're going to start looking at the other side of this. Um, oh yeah. You know, everyone's looking way ahead, but but everything, all the European festivals, everything is just dropping one at a time, like in July and August, you know, in Europe, there's nothing going to happen this year. Wow. Well, you know, I had all these dates with my US-5 quintet playing Charlie Parker for the 100th year centennial, you know, yeah. speaking of Kansas City. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, and all kind of dates in town and all these things, man. It's like, but, you know, they'll all be moved into the next season. So, yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, what what can you do? I mean, when you have a global pandemic. But the interesting thing I think about this is is that 
it's, we always talk about unifying everyone, and I don't know that there's ever been a time in our human history that as a globe we've been unified under one thing like this. Right. This is a defining moment for the whole planet, man. And yeah. I think people going to be a lot of soul searching, and uh, hopefully we're going to come out of this with a deeper appreciation for everybody and maybe not such a commercial-minded world, man. Yeah. That'd be some more spiritual things come out of this. I had the Gary Burton chair in jazz performance at Berkeley College, you know, in Boston. I just did this week about 20 hours of one-on-one exchanges with master's students, you know, who are about to graduate and everything. And, man, it was really a lot of uh, deep emotional stuff going on. And, you know, but that defining moment, you know, it happens throughout your lifetimes and throughout generations, man. Like the civil rights movement was a heavy defining moment for everybody in the country, man. You know, for us, all the towns where all the jazz clubs were, Chicago, you know, St. Louis, like uh, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Detroit, Philly, Boston, there were riots everywhere, and all those neighborhoods were burnt down, and all the clubs were gone. Everywhere, everybody played. Miles, Coltrane, you know, Lou Donaldson, Jimmy Smith, Stanley Tarantino, you know, West Montgomery, Cannonball. Every place, everybody played and made a living were were gone. Wow. Took a long time. Took, like, from the mid-60s on... But look at the music that came from that defining moment, man. I love Supreme and, you know, things that led into In a Silent Way and, uh, you know, the recovery from that defining moment. The music brought a lot of things together and things that we're we're living with today, you know, that uh, this is a defining moment for everyone. So, you know, artists and musicians and folks, are going to really have to come through this in, uh, in a real spiritual way, man. Yeah. It's not just It's not just a commercial world out here. It's deeper, much deeper than that. Yeah, you're right. You're, well, and we're looking at how nature's responding. You know, the canals of Venice are clear, smog's going away. They, they a lot of things. No, it's, yeah. an awake, it's a big awakening for, for lots of stuff, man. And, uh, you yeah. know... Reflecting on all that makes you strong and makes you uh, realize the beauties of life. And uh, we're losing so enough. many people, man. Oh In man, our community, our you know, this is like a changing the guard, also. You know. Yeah. In, in the jazz world, and it's like uh, in all generations are affected. You know, losing Wallace Roney and uh, and then Lee Konitz and. You know, McCoy, McCoy didn't really have, uh, he didn't have the virus. He was going through some health issues, you know, himself. But uh, that was right at the beginning of this whole thing in earlier March. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like March 13th is a million miles away. (laughs) It's like that. Yeah, the, the, the moment before the rapture happened, you know. I mean, I've talked to a lot of musicians. There was one that told me that he was on stage in New York doing a debut, and they literally pulled the 
chords uh, off of the guitar and said, we can't go on. You know, I've heard stories of people being on airplanes. and That's where my last gigs were at the Keystone Corner in Baltimore, the 13th and 14th. And then Baltimore shut down on the Monday. And I wasn't going to go down there, but I don't know. Do you know Todd Barkin, you know who he is, who had the Keystone Corner in Oakland? I mean, Francisco. He opened a new club in uh, Baltimore. And I wasn't going to go, but he was calling and saying, people, there's reservations and everybody's coming. And, da, da, da. and we went and played and everything was cool. But uh, that was it right after that. Yeah. There was a performance. Uh, Deborah Brown was going to do at a local community college. Maxine Gordon was in town talking about her uh-huh. uh, her biography. And, and, right. Uh, yeah, and that, and I actually went to the college the day before that, and heard her talk about Dexter and all of that. It was pretty cool, but I knew that was it. And my guts, I knew this is the last place I'm going to go in public for a long time, and everything's going to be over with for a while. So um, I played when she when the book first came out. So there was a reception at the Vanguard, and uh, I was invited to play, and we played the Chase. It was really something. It was with George Cables and Lewis Hayes. And, wow. uh, yeah, Desron Douglas, young bass player. Yeah. Yeah, we, play, we played a few tunes at the Dexter's, uh, you know, when the book was released. And Maxine, a lot of people spoke. It was amazing. The deep book, man. Dexter, what yeah. a life. Oh, oh, man. He lived uh, nine lives, and he was such a young cat when he <laughs> Man. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. He had tales to tell for sure. Oh, and he was only in his late 60s or something. Yeah. He yeah, wasn't he was 70 yet, man. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Man, he seemed a lot older, you know? He did. He did. He did live. Uh, uh, he, was a we- he, had, he was weathered, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Well, the architecture of this interview is probably going to be a little different than it typically would be because of the COVID-19 quarantine world, but you know, there's a lot of musicians that are out there really getting in there and recording. I know Nicholas Payton has some quarantine releases. Are you doing anything specifically now, or do you have any plans during this time? Well, I'm just like, uh, I'm, yeah, just in really finding myself and uh, realizing this defining moment, trying to write some music that is going to bring me through this. I'm playing a lot of bass clarinet. I'm practicing and playing and vibrating on tones and feeling the spirits, you know? And also, like, with losing all kinds of folks in our community, colleagues and people, like, in all the generations, you know, around the world, um, reflecting on a lot of people, man, and realizing that coming, you know, getting through this, whoever gets through this strong is going to be, you know, to be representing all the cats, man. You know, I'm feeling those kind of vibrations. And it's not just about me. It's about the the all as one. That's that's a piece that I'm working on. And it's going to be a multidimensional piece where the same title is going to have different themes and different movements within. Different episodes. All as I don't know if did you see any of that uh, live from our living rooms 
concerts that Antonio Sanchez and some other cats put together. I've been I've been really getting out there and watching a lot. Yeah, yeah. Did you see some of that? Because I did yeah. it from my my pad with my wife Judy Silvana. We did a, a duets, and also she painted a piece. Uh, she did a painting during our improvisations and things. So we're playing together, and we're uh, in our house. Hold here. We're we're trying to every day uh, meditate and play some music that uh, that is spiritual in nature and, and new music. Not not rehearsing and playing any kind of like uh, patternistic kind of like. Oh yeah, let's play the rehearse. You know, I mean, my music is about. By calling the spirits and vibrating on tones and creating music within the music. Yeah. I'm not writing any kind of tricky little sad music that you have to, like, you know, repeat every time you play. It sounds the same. You know, I'm not into any of that. And more and more in my life, that's that's the direction that I'm going, is, uh, is about uh, creating music, you know, with ideas, developing ideas as you play. And yeah. my last release, Trio Tapestry on ECM Records, is a is an example of the direction that I'm moving. And uh last November in Europe on our European tour we re- we recorded a second ECM release. Marilyn Crispell and Karma Castaldi drums. We recorded in uh Lugano, Switzerland at the radio station there, the, the studio, the radio studio that Manfred Eicher likes to use. And uh, we weren't able to mix it yet. It was supposed to be mixed now in March. I had a tour with Enrico Rava because uh, we have a quintet. And we released something on ECM called Roma. I don't know if you heard that. Uh, but that came out last fall, and uh, we had a big tour in, and six out of eight concerts were in Italy. That was the first stuff they got canceled. It was like, I think, March. I was supposed to leave on the 22nd or something like that. But that mm-hmm. that got canceled real early, like a month before. But I have a couple things in the can for ECM that are going to be coming out over the next period. And uh really proud of those recordings because they were totally natural uh, organic expressions of love and music you know the one thing i've been doing you know it's been really hard in the beginning i was kind of trying to calibrate how i was going to approach this and i've been really doing a lot of shows honoring a lot of these cats from mike longo in the very beginning to lee now i have him on so it's i think it's really important for us to look at this time period and honor these guys and you know, the one thing I did hear from a young musician that's releasing a debut album, he was in Ohio, he's originally from New York, but went home, and he said something that's just really reverberated with me, and he said, you know, when bebop came around, when, when these new idioms and jazz came around, they came around during times of strife, and this could be opening a door up to a whole new brand of, of invention, reinvention. You know, you that, think about that? That's, that's what I was talking with my students about, man, because all my master's students, they're going to be the leaders of the future. And, like, the defining moments 
that we've lived through, like World War II and the record band and how bebop emerged, Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, all those kept monk, they were playing and no there was no recordings. They weren't making records for someone to sell. There was no commercialism at all about any of that. It was all about the music and developing ideas from the hist from within the history. Like it should be. You know, the developments of the, the swing and uh, jazz eras uh grew into what became bebop, but it was it was created during a period of uh, a defining moment. The next heavy defining moment was the civil rights. Man. And that period, when all those clubs disappeared and everything else, and all that music emerged, this is another time right now that I'm feeling like the same kind of energy and the same realization about commercialism and all that things that get in the way. Jazz created the record industry at the beginning, and then the record industry started to create uh, the music, trying to recreate things that sell, that sold, or whatever, you know. And uh, it's, up, it's always been up to the musicians that had a far-reaching attitude about being creative that uh, that carried the music in the next period. Miles Davis is a great example of somebody, man, who, like, you could dig him before... That whole uh, upheaval. I mean, the civil rights movement's been happening all the time, but I'm, I'm talking about when it really hit the, when it really hit, you know, and uh, we lost a lot of people, and there were riots in all the all the towns, you know, and all the urban areas, you know. I mean, Miles came through that in a silent way, and uh, other way, other than music, there was a whole other thing that happened, you know. And uh, I don't know. It's something to really reflect on and, and realize, be a part of, and and then also representing all the folks that uh, inspire us that that left town before their time. Yeah, you know. And speaking of that inspiration, you know, all of us have to really draw on our reserves of strength during this time because it's almost like we're all fighting a disease or we're fighting something together. So what what strength have you gained over the years, you know, with the, the, the legends and the luminaries and the musicians that you played with? It's really been bringing you hope during this period, making you strong, making you see the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, you know, I think from the very beginning, like trying to play with uh, the masters and learning from their from their histories and their passion and love. You know, uh, I was really lucky. My dad was, was on the scene in Cleveland, and I was a teenager through through everything that went down in the 60s. I mean, I was 14 when Coltrane passed, you know. But I remember, you know, my dad heard Bird. He heard Coltrane. He played in jam sessions with folks. And uh, Lester Young, he heard Lester Young. He didn't play in his session with but he played a jam session with Coltrane and played with Tad Damron, all kind of folks. So I grew up with like this whole beautiful record collection that was his and stories about people that inspired him to try to play and learn, you know, and be integrated into the scene, you know. Because my dad lived in a real multicultural world, man, that was really beautiful. And I learned 
all kinds of things, everything from him and his people, you know. And that drove me to move to New York and to do the things that I've done and to to want to be a part to be a part of um, the jazz community. And that led me to become a leader by playing with some great leaders that embraced me and let me develop as a as a teenager and into my early 20s, you know. And now through the years I've created a lot of situations for cats, and I have about five different working bands. Instead of having one working band with the same sound, playing the same repertoire over and over again for years and years, I have five different bands with all different repertoire and all different players uh, from different generations. And that led me to put groups together and have Hank Jones on piano, for example. You know, who I never dreamt that I would create a situation and uh, Hank would tour Europe with me as a leader and I put records together with him and Paul Motion on drums Uh, and Paul was so happy to play with someone that influenced Bill Evans (laughs) you know and that was in 2004 or you know when I first started playing with Hank but I was playing with Paul from 1981 Bill Frizzell and I played with Paul for 30 years until he passed 2011 and uh, and collaborated with Lee Konitz also with Paul. There's one record on Broadway, Volume 3, from the mid-'90s with Charlie Hayden on bass where Lee joined us, and we toured Europe together. Lee was amazing, man. To have his embrace was incredible after listening to him my whole life. From the earliest time, you know, Stan Kenton's band, and then with, uh, of course, Miles, and Birth of the Cool, and then the other thing, the aesthetic with Miles. Now, Lee Konis, being in his audience after a certain point of being, you know, I was in his audience my whole life, and then all of a sudden he's in my audience and we're playing together. That was like some defining moments. There's defining moments for all of us along the way as improvisers and players. And uh, that always fueled my ideas and inspiration, and it looms large right now today, man. When we do get out of this and we get back to some level of normalcy and the jazz begins alive again, what do you hope, what revelations do you hope the audience member and the musician gets from this experience? Well, I hope that we we can uh, have some new venues created new opportunities to uh, express ourselves in uh, in a more more of a loving setting you know around the world man yeah you yeah. know uh, it's it's it is a commercial world you know i mean promoters and people they have to you know they have to feel the confidence to make the money to pay the flights and hire who who they want to play. I mean, there's a lot of issues involved. There is it, it, the the commercial aspect is is uh, <laughs> without it, nothing would happen. You know, so like we just have to hope that there's going to be more support for the arts with all these countries and all these, you know, which we have none here. 
I mean, luckily in Europe and all around the world, there's a, there's support for the arts that that uh, subsidize a lot of festivals and a lot of opportunities for people to dig the music, and also it's like that pays the fees and the flights and everything for for cats to be touring. You know, I mean, yeah. in the United States is like uh, has has always been. So commercially minded that it's like uh, there's no subsidy, there's no there's no culture of the arts in this administration at all. That should be something that it doesn't matter what administration's in there. That's always there for the people and for artists, you know. And also radio, like the jazz radio, and I mean, there's now with cable, there's more opportunities, there's more things happening, but. Uh, there should be like jazz radio on AM stations. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> all that support I hope can happen better for future generations. Yeah, absolutely, uh, I agree. And more, you know, and record companies. There's no record companies uh, like there were because they're so commercially minded that they're not supporting any artists like Blue Note did. Or other labels did, and ECM is one of the only one that does today. You know, they're in their fiftieth anniversary this year, and uh, or last year, two thousand nineteen was the fiftieth anniversary of ECM. And Manfred's approach is not to make a record that sells millions of copies. He wants to make recording and document musicians that are going to inspire future generations of musicians to be creative. And that's the beauty of ECM and Manfred's vision about even having a record label. And he's been lucky to be able to survive through all this. I'm really proud to be with ECM now after having released over 25 records on Blue Note since 1991. Yeah. Because no, Bruce Lundvall also had that vision. Bruce wasn't, uh, you know, of course he was a great businessman and an amazing uh, executive uh, in the record industry. He's one of the mentors of everybody. But but he wasn't just concerned in uh, how many records you sold. He wanted to document things that he thought would would inspire others in the future to be more honest and more... Uh, uh, creative in their development as artists and musicians. And man, I've had such a blessed life uh, in in my career as a recording artist to deal with some people like that. You know? Michael yeah. Cuscuna also. Back to Soul Note, too. Giovanni Bonandrini and Black Saint Soul Note, which I recorded for my first records as a leader in the mid-80s. Bonadrini's vision was also about documenting some music that was uh, creative with with artists that uh, were far-reaching and didn't repeat the same record over and over again. Every every session was like a new uh, ex new expression about life and music. You know? Yeah. So I'm hoping that those things, uh, those models are are. Uh, taken seriously and uh, for future generations to not just uh, be so uh, McDonald's.
you know, uh, generic, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Joe, thank you, man, for taking some time out today. I appreciate you uh, taking a minute out to talk about your your music and what's going on in the world. And uh, stay safe and yeah, really Joe, appreciate it. Yeah, beautiful. And, you know, the recording I did with McCoy Tyner also from 2006, live at Yoshi's, the quartet. Yeah. With uh, Christian McBride and Tane, Jeff Tane Watts on drums. I think that, for me, was one of my shining hours on record, and I think one of the last dates that McCoy really played, like the McCoy Tyner that we know, man. Yeah. Cool. Hey, Joe, thanks again, man. Stay safe out there and keep on making the beautiful music. Thank you. And also, the uh, just to, for your reference, the... Manu Dubango also was someone that uh, <laughs> that I really loved through the years, man, and projected a lot of beautiful music and energy uh, in his presentations. And I sat in with him uh, one time, and it was right before I recorded my um, recording folk art with Us Five, and I wrote a tune called Dubango that's on that recording that you might want to reference. It's something that uh, inspired by Manu Dubango. Absolutely. I totally will. Beautiful. Okay. Thank you, Joe. Take care. See you too. Be well, man. You Stay away from everybody. You got it. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in New York City, Cleveland, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Joe for speaking with Neon Jazz. It was an honor and a pleasure and thanks for the stories and time. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Jazz.